you know, Capenry was the place where uh, I first played Danish long ball, which I didn't know. It's the only place I've played it, but uh, it was certainly, uh, and uh, it was also where we managed to figure out that you could play Balamina versus the world in pretty much any competition. So we had uh, Balamina versus the world, um, capture the flag with Balamina versus the world football tournaments, and Balamina won. Just saying. Just saying. Um, okay, folks, we're in Matthew 6 this morning, uh, and we're going to think about what Jesus would say to someone who is worried. Tonight, we're going to look at what Jesus would say to someone who, is, who has doubts. That's a different thing. Doubts and worry are often kind of intermingled in terms of how we use the words, but they are very different things. And so we're going to look at, at doubt tonight. We're going to look at someone who doubted who Jesus was and someone who doubted what Jesus could do. Two very different types of doubt. This morning, we're, we're going to look at something slightly different. We're going to look at worry. Now, the truth is, ideally, I would like to take about four meetings to go through all the, all the facets of dealing with worry in this chapter alone. Uh, maybe sometime in the future we'll do that. Uh, I have a working graphic for my, for my uh, title. That would be what it would be. Because um, Jesus really uses all of this chapter to talk about where we anchor ourselves and how we should... Well, how that should look anyway. Ultimately, this is about where we put our trust in. Because worry is when we start to panic and, and doubt because we feel like we've lost control. By contrast, trusting God is saying, look, I'm not trying to be in control. I know God's in control. And finding peace in that, it's not about denying the reality of your situation. Actually, trusting God affirms the reality of situation because you're saying, look, listen, I don't understand this. I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I know God is in control. That's affirming the reality of the situation, not denying it. And so, roughly, that would be how, you know, the chapter might look. Worry impacts your giving, verses 1 to 4. Because if we're worried about hoarding up for the future, if we're worried about bills, if we're worried about our pension, if we're worried about retirement, if we're worried about the holiday, if we're worried about Christmas, we're less likely to be generous with the people who maybe need it more than we do. And so when we worry, it impacts our giving. It impacts our praying. Verses 5 to 15, that has what we know as the Lord's Prayer and all the rest. But here's the thing. If we're focused on making sure that we're okay, if we're focused on making sure that um, everything is going to work out okay for us, that makes us self-centered. It makes us selfish. Now, maybe not in the traditional puffed-up sense of, of pride, but there's this inverted type of pride that still has ourselves at the center what about me? How's it going to work out for me? Oh, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure I... I and we're still talking about ourselves and only ourselves. Certainly in a way where the focus is inward, not outward, and certainly not upward. And we honestly say, Lord, look, my will be done in heaven as it is on earth instead of praying like Jesus says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Worry impacts your fasting. When I'm worried, you'll never guess, I comfort eat. I lose the desire to go and find comfort in God, but in food and in other things. And 
I think that there are things we all run to find comfort in instead of God. Then in verse 19, he starts talking about laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures. The idea is about hoarding, accumulating things. In the Greek, it says literally, do not treasure your treasures. It's a play on words. The idea is, in, is about prioritizing the wrong things. Don't treasure your treasures where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures to treasure in heaven. That's what he's saying here. In other words, when we worry, when we have doubts, when we have questions, our focus is wrong and we treasure our comfort, we treasure our security, we treasure financial security, we treasure popularity, we treasure these other things. And Jesus says, no, don't treasure treasure. Don't treasure things that come and go and maybe you can lose tomorrow. Rather, those things that you've been given by a good and great God, use that treasure to invest in eternal things. Verses 22, 23, it's an argument from lesser to greater. If you have bad eyesight or if you have blindness in one or both eyes, you live in a dark world, a blurry world, a world in which you cannot see clearly everything that's going on. I wear glasses. My left eye in particular is really bad. So if I cover up my good eye, you, 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 I can see colors. I can see that there are faces. I, I am struggling to make out faces. Maybe, maybe actually, maybe, no, I'll not say anything there. I was going to say maybe that was a good idea, but anyway. Um, Sometimes my world can be a wee bit blurry. Jesus is saying here that there are people who never get to see clearly the life as it should be seen. People are blind because they only see the material, they only see the physical, they only see the temporal. But when you can focus on the eternal, when you can see the whole picture and you can see life as it ought to be seen vividly in all its colors, in all its aspects, then you can make proper choices about your priorities and how you put your trust. When your eye is good, you see clearly. You're not short-sighted. You're not focused on the here and the now, but rather with 20-20 vision up close uh, and also on the far away. It's a wee bit like sports, okay? Um, now, last time I checked before the service started, Ireland were still winning, so that's good. Uh, but sometimes they told me, my coaches in Vian said, look, Jeff, you have to keep your eye on the ball. Now, tennis, for example, someone with a big serve, you can kind of, you have to time it right, you have to keep your eye on the ball, it can be difficult, but you know, I don't enough hand-eye coordination. I could build on something. Football's the same. You've got a big pass coming in. You have to watch it. You have to be looking at all the people around you if you're going to make the pass or if they're going to be tackled. But if you're going to do anything, you have to keep your eye on the ball. Not even moving balls, but even golf or something like that there where the ball is sitting still. You have to keep your eye on the ball if you're going to hit it because whatever your eye is on, you tend to be hitting what you're looking at. And so, Christian, let me ask you this morning, where are you looking? Where are your eyes? What are you aiming at? How do you live your life? Where are you putting your focus, your emphasis, spiritually or materially? Because here's the bottom line principle, and it's in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. 
here's the bottom line. The bottom line isn't what do you own. The bottom line is who owns you. That's the key. Who owns you? Who are you ready? Uh, what, what has you in its hold? Are you enslaved to a lifestyle, living to a certain standard, and, and focusing on, I, I need to make sure that I am living to a certain standard and providing in such a way that we can maintain a certain standard of living? Are we enslaved to a pursuit that's all about the crafts or the hobbies or the leisure time? Are you enslaved to a relationship? You're dating someone, you know it's not right, but hey, it's better than being single. Or, you know, they're good looking, so let's just see how it works out. Maybe I can turn them around or her around. Or does God own you? He may be your savior, but let me ask you this. Is he Lord? It's a very different question. Is he your master? What's your master passion? What is your overarching goal? No one can serve two masters. It's a basic principle of life. Now, the Roman Empire had lots of slaves. In Jesus' day, they reckon maybe 50% of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves, half. And something about being a slave or a servant in those days was that there was no part-timers, okay? You didn't have to, ha- you know, sort of say, well, you know, I'm kind of following my own path, and, but, you know, I'll do, I'll do 15 hours a week for this guy over here. It doesn't work like that. Um, I was talking to a guy on Monday. He, he had about three careers. He was a writer. He was a barista and um, a filmmaker or something. But if he writes like he makes coffee, he's not going to go too far, I'll be honest. But anyway... Um, See, you can't say I'm a part-time slave or I'm trying to work on a couple of things. You know, I, I slave work over here, but I'm actually trying to get my own business off the ground over here. It doesn't work like that. If you're a slave, if you're a servant, then you're completely, utterly, and totally controlled by another. You cannot have two masters. You can't be a part-time Christian, folks. You can serve the Lord. Notice the words, you cannot serve God, mammon, or mammon. It's an Aramaic word, mamuna. It literally means money. You can't serve God and money. It simply means riches, the material stuff. Therefore, therefore I say to you, and I love this part. This is the best part. Just as we close up the service, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Notice that it's a command. Jesus says you are not to do something. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. But the context is, if you are serving me, if you have more than one master, this is not going to work. But if you're serving the right master, if you're serving the master, if he's in total control of your life, if you're living for him, your eyes are on him, then don't worry. Don't worry. And literally, the grammar is such that it's to stop an action that's already going on. So Jesus, he just knows about human nature. He knows what we're like. And so he's standing up and he's saying, look, listen, I know most of you folks out there are worrying. You've got to stop. You've got to stop what you're doing. You've got to stop in your tracks. Stop focusing so much on these things. Cease this activity. Look at the birds. Have you ever seen a worried bird? 
you know, kind of just going, oh, man, <sighs> the mortgage on the nest is it's so expensive. And, and, and there might be a worm shortage because of Brexit. And, and it, does, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. What's he saying? He says, you know what? Look at the birds. Your father feeds them. He's not the bird's father. He's not their father. But he feeds them. He looks after them. But he is your father. So they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. He's not the father of birds, he's the creator of birds. Now we have that relationship between creator and created but we also have this other relationship of father and child. You are a son, you are a daughter of the king. And so that's a different setup altogether. Those are different rules altogether. And if your father can look after things that he has created, but doesn't have any relationship with, how much more is he going to take care of you, who he claims as a child? That's the implication of these verses. If he's your master, Stop treasuring up things that are, aren't going to last. Make me your ultimate treasure. Why? Because you don't have to worry whenever I'm your ultimate possession. You don't have to worry. Father, I'll look after you. Verse 27, here, here's a question. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? A cubit is about 18 inches. So, if let, let's think really hypothetically here, okay? So, imagine a handsome young pastor, okay? Maybe he's worried that uh, he <clears throat> maybe would like to be a wee bit taller, hypothetically. He says, wish, oh man, I just wish I was taller. I wish I was taller. Everyone's thinking that I should be taller, but I'm not taller. I wish I was taller. I wish I was taller. Is any of that wishing and hoping and longing going to make me taller? Hypothetically. No. Okay? It doesn't work. It doesn't make me taller. Thinking about it, focusing on it, obsessing over it, it doesn't change anything. Okay? Trust me. It doesn't change anything. Now, some translations will maybe say, look, it's, this is a length of time rather than a length of height. So they'll maybe, like the NIV will say, which of you can worry and can add a day to his life? Or, or the New Living, I think it is, that says, you can't add a moment to your life by worrying. In fact, last time I checked, worrying doesn't lengthen the length of time that you have on this earth. Worry tends to shorten it. Not right now what the science says? When you worry and your blood pressure and, and all the rest of it, and it says actually the stress, and it shortens our lifespan. So which of you by worrying adds to your life? It doesn't do any good. It, it's a fruitless activity. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothes? Boy, there's a good question. Just tuck that away next time you're out shopping with your wife. You're maybe getting stressed out at the prices of things. Saying, how much? Oh, man. Now, husbands, please. Please be careful. I know the temptation is, oh, I'm going to underline this verse. Mm -hmm. I'm going to underline this. I'm going to get it carved into the credit card, and I'm going to hand it to her. And every time that she's going to spend, she has to read it. 
I don't have time next week for marriage counseling, okay? Just, it, it's going to have to push it down. And we don't, we don't need that. We don't need that. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grew. They nev- neither toil nor spin. And yet, I said to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In, in Israel, if you go at springtime, the wildflowers are absolutely stunning. The flowers that kind of just grew along, along the paths in people's gardens, they are absolutely stunningly beautiful. But here's the thing about those flowers. You're in Israel. You're in the Middle East. And with that hot sun baking down all day, those flowers don't tend to last very long. In fact, after a few days, at most, they're scorched and they're dried up. And so what happens is then the locals go out, they pick them up and they use them as fuel in their bread ovens. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Test your memory. Test your memory. What were you worried about exactly a year ago? What were you worried about exactly a year ago? Now, some of you won't be able to answer that. Some of you, uh, because of the immense trial that you're in, or maybe still in, you are very much aware of what you're in. But I'll wager that most will not be able to give me a clear answer about exactly what we're worried about. might have a memory or, or, or two about worrying about something, but maybe it seems funny to you that you got so worried about that. Now, what was I getting all so worried about? <laughs> I mean, I was so worried about GCSEs. <laughs> now I'm doing A-levels. What was I worried about GCSEs for? This is a different ball game altogether. Or, you know, oh man, geography, A-level. I mean, I got so worried about that, but eh, I don't use it now. All right, you know, well, nobody uses geography. It's a pointless subject, but apart from that, it's not, it's not, not like history, you know, I mean, it's, why do we worry? Why do we worry? Why do we get so stressed? So what's the solution? Quickly, let's just end with this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's the cure to worry. Notice that it begins with the word but. In other words, it's, it's contrasting. It's contra- Stop worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Don't do that. But instead, instead of using that energy to focus on those things, use your energies to seek first the kingdom. In other words, the cure isn't just to stop thinking. All right, that really frustrating if you're focused about something and you're stressing about something. And says, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, funny, I never thought about that. Uh-huh. You know, so why don't I just think about not thinking about it? It's hard. But what we do is we replace that focus. Instead of focusing on those things that are worrying us and causing us to stay awake at night, we focus on building the kingdom. We redirect our energy into something that is of eternal value, of greater value, of importance. Because if God is our master, then let's set about serving the master. That's our job. Let the master take care of the provisions. That's his job. If we're to paraphrase Jesus saying this, he said, look, first things first. When you're panicking, when you're stressing, first things first. Maybe you say that. Right, I need to write a list. 
right? I need, I need to get my post-it notes out. I need to get my calendar. I need to, right, I need to prioritize. What do we need to take care of first? That's what Jesus is saying. First things first. Live by your priorities. What should be first then? God. God's first. And, and his kingdom. And here's the deal that you said. Like, I'll make you a deal. If you make your priority my stuff, I'll prioritize your stuff. That'll happen. All these things will be added to you. I'll give them to you. If we're seeking first the kingdom, how to win people to Christ, how to further our life, how to live and shine and make a difference. And God is promising that everything that you need, he'll make sure you get. Now, that's not a promise for comfort. It's not a promise that life is going to be full of promotions and that you're going to have security and everything's going to be easy. That's not the promise. The promise is that a sovereign God makes sure that you get through. We reverse this. We seek first our kingdom. We seek first what we need, all this stuff, and then we expect to add the kingdom on to that. Like, listen, once I, once I get this, the, the debt paid, then I'll serve in the church. Once I get settled in, in this job or once I get the family sorted, then I'll contribute to the church. Uh, once I get the, this done or once I get Christmas paid, once I get the holiday paid, then I'll start to tithe. Then I'll start to give. Then I'll start to come more. Uh, and we start to reverse it by saying, okay, I'm going to seek first my kingdom and then hopefully I'll find space at the end to add God into it. That's not the promise. Jesus said, here's the deal. Seek first me, my kingdom, and in response, I'll supply your need. Stop trying to do my job. You're not good at it. Let me supply the need. That's a good deal. When was the last time you made the kingdom of God your ultimate priority? When you filtered your life to the kingdom you start to bring people into the kingdom. You start to expand the kingdom. You talk about the kingdom. You're living for the kingdom. You take people under your wing to disciple them. Went out of your way to say to someone, like, I'm praying for you. Do you want to talk? Let's go for a coffee. Come around to the house. I'll come to you. Whatever it is. I want to do something for you to encourage you. What is the one thing that God wants from his children? What is the one thing he wants I know that's a really big question. But what's the one thing he universally wants from all of us? He wants us to live in response to who he is. That's what he wants. If God is big, and God is holy, and God is sovereign, and God is good, and God is gracious, and God is merciful, do you not think God's people should live like that? Oh, I know God loves me, but I'm not sure he's going to show it today. I, I know God is kind, but what if he doesn't show that today? He wants his people to live in response of who he is. If God is for me, who can stand against me? And if he is so big and so strong and so mighty and so holy and so wonderful and amazing as we tell people that he is, What have I got to worry about? 
my life isn't mine. It's his. I've given it to him. I'm seeking first the kingdom, and I trust that this will be fulfilled. And therefore, just as we close, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Blessed is the one who is too busy in the day to worry and too sleepy at night to stay awake. <laughs> Folks, work for God. Serve the Lord. Expand your energy on eternal things. And fall asleep in peace. The only people who should be worried this morning are those who do not have Christ as their Savior. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ, if He is not your master, if you've got another master, and it's probably yourself, but if there is another master, if there is someone else who's sitting on the throne in your life, I'm going to ask you something this morning. I'm going to challenge you, make a kingdom shift from your kingdom to his kingdom. If you want an exciting life, if you want a life that will be filled with peace and adventure, then seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I mean, really, and then buckle your seatbelt. You'll be on one crazy, awesome ride. That's what happens when you serve God. It's a wonderful journey. It's a wonderful walk. But if you don't know the Lord, you really should be worried because that's the scariest place I can imagine. Where, where's your peace coming from? What's it anchored in that's going to last, that you can guarantee will be there tomorrow? Where's your joy? What are they anchored in? If you come to the church this morning and you don't know Christ, and you want to know your sins forgiven, you want to know that when you die, you'll be in the presence of God. When you have that, you can live without worry. You can face every day without fear. You can live with hope. And even now, we want to give you that opportunity to know Jesus. Maybe you remember being close to him at one point, but now... Now it's been a bit further away. Doubts and worries and questions have come in and you've walked back into him today. And you want to dedic rededicate your life fresh. And let's bow our heads right now. Let's bow our heads right now and pray and then the musicians will come up afterwards.